we're going through the book of James, um, Faith on a Loan. And we've started, you know, at, at the beginning of the first chapter with verse 1. And we're going to go all the way to the end. And so we're continuing that. We're in James 4 now. Um, and it's been really good. Uh, it's been a little challenging. James can be a, a really challenging book. The book of James is, uh, it, it, you know, you've probably noticed if you've been here listening, um, been a part of this, that it doesn't always sound like uh, some of the other letters in, in the New Testament. James doesn't talk like the Apostle Paul, for instance. And so a lot of times we, we fail, and it's us, it's we that fail. The Word of God never fails, but we will fail to see the gospel in the book of James. We start getting all caught up in, in how, you know, because it's got this amazing amount of imperatives. Things you, that you should do or think how to do this or how, what not to do and what to do. And, and, and you know, an av- on average, every other verse in that book is an imperative, something to do. But it really is a gospel book. And it really is a, uh, written by a man who loved the gospel and loved the, the gospel himself, which was Jesus. Uh, and it's Jesus' gospel anyway. And we know that James was probably Jesus, most probably Jesus' brother. And so was very familiar with Jesus' words. So it's, it's a gospel book, but it's different. Now, one thing they don't have here in Knoxville is Ikea. Uh, now, in Tampa, they had Ikea. I guess they have that in Atlanta. Do they have that in Atlanta, Ikea? Yeah. Ikea is a strange place to me because it's, uh, well, like when, it's, it's the store you can get in to, but you can't get out. I don't know if you've ever been in there. They have to have arrows on the, on the floor so that you know, like if you follow the arrows, you might get out. They suck you in. Because I guess if you can't get out, well, I can't, we can't leave. We might as well buy stuff, you know. And they can make the cheapest thing look really good. Like, it, it can be like a plain white terry cloth, you know, towel. But they've got it folded up, and it's on this wooden cube, and there's a red-pink light shining on it, and it's all modern, you know, and they have some, some uh, um, it's sort of retro-modern kind of painting up on the wall or whatever. It's all blue and yellow and, and red. It's... And they make it look so cool. You want to buy that plain old towel, you know. And one time, uh, and Rebecca loves going to Ikea. Mostly for the meatballs. But, because we always get those meatballs up in the kitchen. It's got a kitchen. A store with a kitchen. That's, that's a great idea. So, we always, we would go. It'd be like a family event. Hey guys, we're going to Ikea. We may not buy anything. We're just there hanging out. <laughs> so, Anyway, I'm, we're walking by, and I noticed something. They've got this cube made of wood, and I guess they're selling, they're selling lights. That's what it is. It's lights. But what they've done is they've, they've got this cube, and it's, it's divided up into smaller cubes. Uh, and so you can see into these little wooden cube, cubicle type it's a structure. Like, but it's painted inside the little... Uh, Space. And it's painted the same. Now, evidently, it's the same color. Actually, it is. Now I know. But I've got to tell you how I found out. <laughs> I was walking by, and it really looked like it was blue, but it was, looked like about 10 different 
or 12, this is, whatever, nine, okay, I'm not a mathematician, I'm sorry. nine cubes, they were all blue inside, and they had little lights inside those little boxes shining on the blue paint, but they all look like different colors of blue, they all look different, but it said they were the same shade of blue, but they really, really look different. And I don't mean like a little bit. They really look like each one was a different color of paint inside the little box. And I didn't believe that they were the same color, even though it said it was. Just different kinds of lights. So I, and so I'm going over there and I'm telling Rebecca, there's no way. And I, you know, I'm an art teacher. Now, that doesn't mean, uh, you know, that, that I'm a... a a genius with color or anything, but I do notice them, and I notice shades of color and different. So I thought, there's no way, you know, and I'm, I'm starting to think, I know, I'm, I'm an art teacher. There's no way. Some of them have faded, or, or it's, it's a different shade. So I, I start to go over, and I'm kind of scraping. I'm going to scrape some of it off, and then, like, from two, and then I'm going to come over to, like, the fluorescent lighting, and I'm going to compare it. But then the, <laughs> the lady that worked there came up behind me, you know, and I'm, like, scraping it off. She's like, no, it really is the same color. And she flips a switch, and, they, and those lights turn off. And they're exactly the same color, all of them. Every little section is the same. And I felt like an idiot. I mean, you know, Rebecca's laughing. I look like a complete, you know, idiot. The thing is, the light that shines on a surface, that's the only w- way we can see color. I mean, I'm not a scientist or anything, but I kind of understand how that works. The light reflects off of something. You see the color. So in a dark room, you actually stop. It's darker. There's not enough light. You stop seeing the color. You don't really see it as well. You have to have light to see the color. But the light, so because of that, it actually becomes part of the color. It changes the color. So that when it, you know, it reflects back on your your eyes, depending on what the light is made of, it's going to look like a different color. They had a warmer, kind of yellowish lights and the bright, you know, LED type light. And, a, and, and it really, really changed the color. So all of you, I have no idea what you really look like because we're under these gym lights. But go outside and I may, I may, I may know what you look like. You've, you've probably experienced that. You ever gone in a bathroom where, you know, it's like they have these stadium lights in the bathroom? And you look in the mirror and you're like, ah, I don't even, I don't ever want to see myself like that again, you know. You see every little, you know, every little uh, spot, every little freckle. But we like the way, you know, we like it when we're, we have that indirect lighting and the ambiance in the room. We all look good then, right? I want to read from James here, uh, since this is what we're looking at. James 4, 1 through 12. All right, it says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us, but He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Stumble, uh, <coughs> stumble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to, joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Not done yet. <laughs> Move it along. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Wow. (laughs) That's hard to, even just reading from verse 4 to verse 12, that is packed tight. And, and so what we really need to do is unpack it. I mean, that's what, because I, I don't even remember what I read in verse 4. And I'm, I just got to verse 12. So we need to do. Now, I, I mentioned a minute ago that James, James being Jesus' brother, would be very, very familiar with the words of Jesus. I mean, he would have had to have been. And he is. In fact, sometimes when I'm reading James, I kind of get the feeling, I've heard this before. Well, it, said, it's a, it sounds different, but I know I've heard this. It sounds a lot like the words of Jesus, said in a different way. So what I want to do is kind of look at some of the words of Jesus. So let's look at Matthew 5.14 real quick. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp. And put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to, the, to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay, so now one thing I've noticed is that uh, a lot of what we're going to look at today, this will help us unpack it. It'll make us understand it better uh, if we start also looking at some of the actual words of Jesus. And that is on the Sermon on, sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave that whole teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And that's where this part is from. He says, you're the light of the world. And here's the thing about, about light. Um, he says, you, we're the light of the world. And we, and we know that uh, light um, and darkness, they, they don't mix. I mean, you, you shine a light, the darkness can't stand it. It has to go, right? And, and you know that it depends, though, on what the light is. We say, well, there is no other light. We're the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Uh, we shine. In him we shine. Uh, but, but actually, it's kind of interesting that there is actually a bad light. I mean, just like, you, you know, we were talking, I was mentioning that there are bad lights we don't look good in, right? Fluorescent lighting. Those, you know, someone has 15 lights in their bathroom. We don't, we don't really look good in those lights. There are bad lights. Because I know in 2 Corinthians here, um, 
chapter 11, verse 13, it says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So we know that there's a true light, and then there's a fake, and there's a bad one. And what Jesus is doing on the Sermon on the Mount, among other things, is he is making a distinction between God's people that he is gathering, that he uh, died for together, and then the world. So he's making a clear distinction. And that's why he says, you're a, light of, you're a light, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So we're to really be different. We're to look different. When I say we, I'm talking about those of us who belong to Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't belong, if you're here this morning and you don't belong to Jesus Christ, then that's fine, but just understand that the that there is a distinction. Just like the lights in the boxes made things look distinct, there is a distinction in the people of God. In fact, there's a radical distinction. Jesus is making it clear. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and good glory to your Father. How are they going to do that if there's no, no difference? If there's nothing different about it, how can you... You're not going to notice it, right? We're supposed to be so radically different as a people of God that it cannot help but be noticed. It's going to even be look weird, strange, foolish. So that's what James is doing. He's talking to people and he's saying... What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Hey, by the way, it, it's kind of funny that, that he's talking about these things because, uh, I mean, you know, welcome to life. Welcome to the world, right? I mean, isn't that what we like to watch on TV anyway? Quarreling and fighting? Because that's, that's just uh, normal. That's normative in, 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 in the world. Quarreling and fighting. In fact, that's actually entertaining, Quarreling and fighting. That's the thing we want to do, right? But he's talking to his people here. This is a letter to his people, to a church, to, to people that, are, uh, that belong to Jesus. And they're that city, they're that light of the world. So he's saying, well, what causes, causes quarrels and causes fights among you? And basically makes you look just like everybody else. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, you desire and you do not have. So you murder. Well, let me, let me just stop here for a second because it says you desire uh, and do not have. So I like, that kind of makes me wonder. I mean, some of the language here is kind of general, right? So what did they want? What was it that they were wanting? Have you ever wondered that? Like you read, it's easy to read over that. You desire, you do not have. Well, what? What did they want? I mean, they, they, they didn't want a new car, uh, I don't think, because they didn't have n- new cars. So, so you, can't, you can't just be like, well, they just wanted a new car. They can spend it on their passions. Well, they, they didn't have that. So 
so what did they want? We know that we know when we read the Bible uh, as a church, we we uh, we never, we don't we know that it, it can never say to us. It can never mean to us something that it could never have meant to them. We can't put ourselves into this scripture. We have to find ourselves in the in the in the big story, but we can't put our our life and impose it on this and make sense of it. Can't do that. So what did they want? We have to know that. And I think I think it really helps us to look at verse ten. Can we look at James uh, four verse ten? So it's kind of skipping ahead, I know, but it's, it kind of helps to know what they want. Yeah. Okay. So humble humble yourselves, he says, before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Well, he's saying that because that's one of the things they want. They want to be exalted. So. Now, that's something we share with those people, isn't it? You like being exalted? Listen, when I was a kid, I, I don't know what it was with food, but every song was about food. I used to, and I grew up listening to a lot of churchy music, and one of the songs, and, and it was, one of the songs was the lettuce song, I call it. Let us have a little talk with Jesus, let us, it was the lettuce song. I really thought, I'm not making fun of the song, I thought it was about lettuce. I was three or four. I also thought there were little people in our big wooden stereo, you know, because it was so huge. I thought there were little people in there singing the gravy song, Up From the Gravy Arose, you know. <laughs> and then there was the salted song. But it was really exalted. Exalted, assaulted. I thought it was salt. I always thought it was food. Exalted just means uh, lifted up. I mean, that's a simple way of saying it. It's just to be uh, lifted to a higher place than where you are before. To be, um, to be praised, to be lifted. So now we, we want to be exalted. Okay? So that's why, that's why James goes out of trouble to say, look, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will, he will exalt you. Now he has a lot to say between that. So well, I just wanted to pick, you know, pick that out. Hey, that's what they want. That's what we want. We'll talk about whether or not we should want that or not. See, it started in the Garden of Eden. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we do that a lot. We do go back to Genesis a lot because that's where the story began. Thank goodness it doesn't end there. But, you know, thank God it doesn't end there. But that's where it started. And that's where it starts with us. So, uh, Genesis 3, uh, verse 5 through 6. Yeah, there we go. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. So the serpent's talking to Eve. Adam's there being quiet and wimpy. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That sounds cool. They're already starting to like that because that sounds like they're going to be exalted. So when the woman saw the tree uh, was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes... And, but listen, that wasn't all it was, though. Um, but it was also desired to be desired to make one wise. Now, that's kind of interesting. Because, see, what we could do a lot of times, we'll read James and we'll be like, I'm not supposed to ask for anything because uh, it says don't ask. You know, like, 
for the wrong reasons. That you'll spend it on your own passions. Um, well, I mean, that's, that wasn't just Eve's problem. That I want that fruit. Mm, see, I mean, that's good. Oh, you sinned. But, but it was more than that. It was that it, she, it was, the tree was to be desired to make one wise. To be, so that she would be at a higher place than she was before. That she and Adam would be exalted. So she took of its fruit and ate. And, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. So really it just started there. Uh, they just wanted to be exalted. Uh, they didn't want to wait for God they didn't believe that God is good and gracious toward them. Just, I mean, I'm not saying they never did, but in that moment they did. They stopped believing it because then they reached for something else. So if God is good and gracious and you believe that and they believe that, then they know that, that they don't need to exalt themselves. That they had already been given everything, so to speak, to for life and godliness. But instead, they didn't believe that anymore. And they wanted to exalt themselves. And that's exactly what we want to do. That's what I want to do. I want to... Um, now, I'm not going to say that I want to. So, so let me get into this a little bit. Because see, he, this is tricky. We don't say a lot of what we really mean. Now, some people do like, like I love people like Gary. He's from Brooklyn. People from Brooklyn, they say what they mean a lot. But here in the South, a lot of times we, we'll say the opposite of what we mean. You know, thank you. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. And you walk away, you're like, yeah, all right. A lot of times we don't really say what we mean. So no one's going to say like, yeah, I want to be exalted. Good morning. How do you feel? What do you really want in life? To be exalted. No one's going to say things like that. Unless you're from Brooklyn. I don't know why I'm picking on Gary today. So let's just add, let's look at this. Let's look at specific people like leaders in church. Let's, I'm going to name, list some people on a, on a list and, and just see if, this, if you fall into this. I know you do probably. Leaders in the church. So we have those here. Servants, we have those here too, servants in the church. Servants, uh, people who serve in the church regularly. Uh, and, and, um, and so we would call them servants. Managers uh, at your job. So we have some of those, I'm sure. Supervisors at your job. So maybe you don't manage the whole thing, but you or you're in charge of somebody. Uh, employees. So somebody works somewhere for somebody. I forgot to put students. I'm sorry, college guys. That's not nice. But let's think about this. How, how do all of you people that I listed off, how do you, how do young, listen, think about this. How do young, potential up and coming, um, or just really talented people, how do they make you feel? How do they make you feel when you, when you see them in, in if you're any of these people, and they, and, and they start coming around. I mean, they have more skill than you. Like maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're a manager, but then there's a new hire. And he's a real talented guy. Um, 
and it's pretty obvious that he's kind of an up-and-comer. How does that, how do you feel about that? I mean, we're going to say with our words, yeah, yeah, that's great. I, I'm happy for him. But I mean, like, really, like in your heart and your gut, how does that make you feel? Does it make you nervous? Do you start trying to look for faults in this person? Little cracks, places where it's just going to make you feel a little better if they just, man, if they could just be bad at something. Because they might be the, you know, the ten talent person. They have all these gifts and talents. The Johnny Come Lately. If you're old like me, you remember that song from the Eagles. I know you remember it, Mike. No, okay. He wasn't into the Eagles. Johnny Come Lately. Everybody loves Johnny Come Lately. Because he's new. You see, but you've been leading for a long time. Or you've been working there for a long time. Or you've been serving for a really long time and you're faithful. People don't know how hard you work because you do it behind the scenes. Uh, I mean, you, you, you don't get the thank yous and you don't get the, the compliments. How does that make you feel? So you fish for compliments. Oh, shucks. Man, I'm notorious for this. I'm no good. I'm not good. I used to do this all the time when, when I first joined the worship team. I, I wasn't very good, actually. But, but I would really milk that for all it's worth. Well, no, good. So someone would be like, no, you're getting better, Kevin. You're getting so much better. Pat me on the back. No, 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 you are, you are good. I would really fish. It's kind of embarrassing to admit that. But if I could admit it, maybe that will help you admit it. Because I know you have done it. I'm not really that good. He's way better than me. You're hoping they'll say, no, no, no. He's just different. You have your gifts. He has his, you know. I'm just feeding my desire for approval. (sighs) So you you become envious. That's where envy begins. Now remember what we're talking about. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Okay. So... So now this is coming more, uh, coming, you know, closer to the bone for us. This is not those people way back that, that uh, in the early church that had some problems we don't have. No, we live it. Listen, I was a part of a worship team for a long time, and it's, it's one of the best things, uh, one of the, the biggest blessings of my life. But, I mean, really, I've seen things that would make the hair on your neck stand up. I mean, it's when it comes to this kind of stuff. <laughs> If you're on a worship team, then it's, it's going to be, you might actually have some of this quarreling and murdering and stuff going on like during practice, you know. It could be tough. But people don't see it coming. See, envy is one of those things that if I ask you to raise your hand, and I'm not, but if I ask you to raise your hand, if you have a problem with envy... I wonder how many of you would raise your hand and say, yeah, that's a real problem for me. Envy. I have a real issue with envy. You probably don't because you never sneaks up on you. I disappeared for a second. It sneaks up on you. No one considers himself to be a good candidate for envy. Man, I am prime and ready to be, to, I'm going to fall to envy. You know, No one thinks that, which is part of the problem. 
So maybe I should ask a different question. Instead of asking, do you have a problem with envy? Then maybe I should ask, um, ask it this way. Does, does it bother you? And just be honest here with yourself and before God. Does it bother you when someone, to see someone else succeed more than you? In, get this, in the same line of work or the same pursuit? Oh, it's no, it's no big deal when they're succeeding in some, some other field, right? Like, for instance, you're a singer, but they're a better singer. Ugh. I don't like that. I don't mind as long as they're not that close to me. Like, if they're, I don't want to be next to the, you're an athlete, but they're better than you are. You're a teacher, but they're a better teacher. And, and it may always be that way. You know, you're a salesman, they're a better one. Uh, they're succeeding around you and it's starting to bug you. See, it's a lot easier to have a, a really successful person uh, and, and know they're successful and be happy for them as long as they're not succeeding right next to you. Or to have the better looking person. Look, when you're around, I mean, we might as well go ahead and just talk about it. We know that in this world there are different levels of looks of people. and There's really, really good looking people. And then there's the, the you know, then there's people like me, lesser maybe. And then we, and we, and, and, and we try, look, we, want, we don't want to be shallow. But, and we try to fight it. But we know in our mind we have like that hierarchy of of looks, it's just like it's hard not to do that. So, um, how do you feel when 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 the the, the really good-looking person is standing next to you, and you're not that person? It really, really messes with your your heart. It's easy to say, "I don't care, I don't mind," but it, but but I think we do care. Because you find yourself hating the way you feel when you're around them. And, and, and you sort of feel like you blend into the scene around them while, while they shine. Now, why would that bother us? Well, because we want to be exalted, remember? So we don't want to blend. We want to stand out somehow. I, I remember in high school, now I, I went to New Deal, Texas. It used to be called Monroe. But I guess because of the New Deal, they, they, were, they got excited about that and named the town after it. So it was New Deal, Texas, and it was a 2A school. And, I mean, my graduating class was 45. It was the biggest in the school had ever seen. The year before, they had zero. So, and, and we had a, you know, football team, and, and I wasn't good at football, but I was the new guy. I was the Johnny-come-lately because I had moved from the, you know, huge metropolis of Lubbock, Texas, which was 250,000, to the little town of New Deal, which was around 600 or so. And so I was the new guy. Look, I'm from the big city, you know. And I was be and, and so there's a certain amount of acceptance that came with that. I kind of liked it, you know, as the new guy. I was from the bigger place. They were like, ooh, he's from, the, you know, the city. So <laughs> that was not nice. But anyway, I, I liked it. But then came the two guys from Dallas. 
just when I was starting to really enjoy this feeling of being from the big city, then there the guys from Dallas. You can't compete with that. Lubbock. So they were super cool because they were from Dallas. And, and so now they socially, it's kind of like, you, have you ever let you, like you're moving someone and you're lifting heavy boxes of books and then you pick up a box that doesn't have any books and you're like, woo, it feels really light. That's kind of like what they were experiencing in every way, socially, athletically, because they were from Dallas and that's the big city and every, ooh, you know, they played, they were from a 5A school and, and uh, so they, and they'd played on the team and, and they'd been around big city people and I know I sound so country bumpkin, but. That's where I'm from. And, and everybody liked them all of a sudden. These two guys, they're from Dallas. Wow. And they could do everything easily because we were that little podunk 2A school. And so they were excelling in athletics. They were excelling socially. They were, they were funnier. They were just, everything was better. And I hated th- that. I was about to say I hated them. Well, I did. I did. I really wanted to find faults and bad things about them. I didn't like that. Now they were the Johnny-come-latelys. So in church, we have that, you know, uh, we, we, but we try to spiritualize it a little bit. So we're starting to, to, to kind of struggle with envy. And so we, we kind of, uh, we'll say things like, oh, you know, you know how he can be. <clears throat> he did tick me off, but the Lord is still working on him. I know that, you know, he's a really neat person. Yeah, he's raw. I can't wait to see how God changes him, what God does in his heart. You're just saying, you're, you're just, basically you're just, you're, you're, you're talking bad about this person. It sounds negative, but you're making it sound good. You're making it sound spiritual. We do that. And, and I think that's what uh, James is talking about in verse 11. If you can throw that up there real quick. See, this sneaks up on us. Um, it's, uh, yeah, chapter 4, verse 11. There we go. See, we just read right over this. Do not speak evil against one another. Well, I don't speak evil. The one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother. But we do. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, though. He who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? We also do things like we secretly hope that, that um, you know, if there's some kind of contention that, that we'll be vindicated as, and that they'll have to ask for forgiveness and, and because we secretly haven't forgiven and, and, and we hold offenses. Now, what, what James is really dealing with here, when he's saying, you know, uh, when, he's, when he's saying don't, you know, don't speak evil against one another. He's saying, be this light, that, be this people that I've caused. You're supposed to be radically different than the world. And yet, but you're doing these things that the world does all the time and makes into TV shows and it's just normal. <clears throat> There's a real hard issue with that. It's a gospel issue because you don't believe some things. Just like Adam and Eve didn't believe that God was good and gracious toward them. So we don't believe some things. We don't believe we're accepted. We don't believe we're approved. By who? By God. Because if you're in Christ, you are approved. You are accepted. You don't believe that at the cross, 
where Jesus was, he was rejected. That's where you're accepted. So, it says even in Isaiah, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrow. We, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. The thing is, you, you are approved and you don't, need their, you don't need a person's approval. And you also don't need them if there's been some kind of conflict between you. For them, a quarreling, this is what happens with quarreling. We, we Christians quarrel all the time. And if you're not a Christian, then you, you're well acquainted with quarreling because that's how the world lives. But God's asking and uh, calling us to something completely, radically different than that. So what we do is we, we play this little game. Well, if he comes to me, I'll, I'll, I'll forgive him. You know, we say the little spiritual things. God's still working on him, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we hold stuff against him. We don't forgive. We want them to pay for it. We want them to come and say, I'm sorry I was wrong. And that's what people in the world would, would expect. And then they still might not forgive you and still be justified in the world. But see, the thing is, if Jesus is the one who's the lawgiver and who can save and destroy, then he's the, he's the only judge, then he's the one who pays for it. I mean, he went to the cross, so he paid for it. If they're, if, if they're a brother or sister in Christ, if they're one of your brothers and sisters in the kingdom, then he's already paid for their sin. You can't ask him to, to do anything to pay for it. You can't. You cannot ask for retribution. You can't, even, even in the form of an apology, you can't. Because Jesus already paid for it. Now, should they? Well, yeah, that's, a, that's an issue with them. I mean, they should. They should come to you. But you can't, you can't make them before you forgive them. You can't ask them to do that. Well, what if they're not a Christian? Well, you still can't. And you can't be mad. You, can't hold, you can be mad. You can't hold it against them. You can't hold an offense. Because we know that there's a, since he's the ultimate judge and lawgiver, there's a judgment day. So it's going to be taken care of and settled at that point. That's when accounts are settled. So you can't ask for payment. You can't ask for a double payment. But isn't that different? Listen, let's, let's use our imaginations a little bit. Imagine living life around people that do that all the time. That tick each other off and then don't ask for payment back and don't, they don't want you to grovel. In fact, they find, ways of, they find ways of blessing you when you've offended them. They look for ways to serve you when you don't deserve it. Imagine living around people like that. Well, that's what God did. He imagined it. That's what he's calling us to be. I mean, and, and Jesus, the firstborn from the dead, the one who, who leads the way in this, he, he did it without our deserving it at all. He was, we were his enemy. We weren't looking for God, searching for him. We were not. 
Imagine living that way. Now, if you're not a Christian, that might actually... Uh, if you, listen, if you're, if you're a Christian here today, that, that probably still sounds really good. Why? Because much of the church, and, and that includes, you know, IR1, we, that's all of us, we, we haven't got that. We haven't got that down yet. I mean, James is dealing with it. We're still dealing with it. Because he's saying, you look just like the world. You're not any different. So that probably sounds really good. Man, I would love to live around a bunch of people who did that, who were generous. That generous? That would be, wow, what a freeing thing it would be. I don't have to keep tabs on what this person did or didn't do or what I did wrong. And, and I'm going to try, I have to make it up to him. And I have to, no, I don't have to do that anymore because I'm accepted and loved by my, my spiritual family. And they love me enough, they'll tell me when I'm wrong. And, and then I could tell them when they're wrong and then they don't, they don't like, they don't hold that offense against me forever. Man, what a freeing thing that is. I would love that. But if you're not a Christian, that probably sounds really good too because you're probably living by the world's wisdom which says these, those things are justified and good things to do. You should hold a grudge. They deserve it. This person deserves this. This person doesn't deserve that. What a burden. You can't keep up with all that stuff. Jesus says, if you're, if you're, if you're burdened like that, then you're carrying a heavy burden. He says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Now, I want to get back to exalted. It's not just, um, it's not just a, a bible word. It actually means something to lift or to raise up, to uplift, to basically you're given a higher position than you were before. Kevin, that sounds weird. I know it does. Oh, I touched this. You're not supposed to. Oops. That sounds weird. Like, you, you want to be exalted? It's okay to be exalted? Because, uh, James, could you go ahead and put that up? Um, that would be 10, verse 10. James 4, verse 10. Are we really supposed to want to be exalted? It's kind of weird. Why did James say... Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you like that's a good thing. <clears throat> Why do you want to be raised up? I think that sounds kind of, that doesn't sound humble. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like, if you're old enough, you probably remember that song from Weird Al Yankovic, Amish Paradise. He says, I'm a thousand times more humble than thou art. It seems doesn't, that, that seems like a weird statement. Humble yourselves and he will exalt you. Wait, why are you humbling yourself so that he'll exalt? That doesn't seem humble, <laughs> you know? So we know it's, it's there's got to be more to it. And there is. So I, I want to read Ephesians. I think this will shed a little light on it. Um, Ephesians 2, uh, 4 through 6. All right. But, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that's how you're exalted. So you're raised up with him. 
So you don't have to salt yourself, exalt yourself. You just, you're raised up with him. So that puts all the, that, another burden taken off. I don't even have to have the burden of trying to exalt myself by trying to be righteous, by trying to be good enough. All right, let's look at James 2, uh, 4, verse 2. This is interesting. You desire and do not have, so you murder. <laughs> Whoa. Well, James, hold on. <laughs> really? You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You murder. Whoa. I mean, it's getting serious now. Remember what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount? In the Sermon on the Mount, if you don't, I'm going to tell you anyway. He said that murder, hate was murder. Remember that? Hey, they might have been, I'm not going to say, some scholars believe that, that he was literally accusing them of murder. And that, but there are some that don't. But it doesn't really matter because Jesus said, if you hate someone in your heart, you've murdered them. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. Covet what? I want to be exalted. I want to be approved. I want to be talented like this person. You ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Um, And listen, this is a problem. This sounds weird. Like I I thought, that sounds so weird. Why is, how is this going to be? mean anything to us today. I mean, here we are sitting in a gym. Nobody's murdering each other in here. And, and, and throughout the week, we're actually not murdering each other. Not, not literally. We're not killing each other. But, but really, is it really that weird? Is it really that strange? I mean, in Knoxville, listen, there are shootings all the time. Last year, there were 76 or so. I looked it up in several different places, and it's, that's a lot. Now, not everybody died in those shootings, but people are shooting at each other. And this year so far, just from January, is, uh, there are 13. People, so people are shooting. And I, I'm a teacher, so I've heard about if there's a school shoot, shooting, I hear about it. Uh, there hasn't been one, in a, in, but it's, it hasn't been that long. There was one in uh, 2008. Guy got shot in a high school and died. I mean, got killed. The guy that got shot. So maybe it's not so weird. Now, you know, I I love Mark Twain. I'm sorry to inflict this on you. Mark Twain is one of my favorites. But I found this little thing in here and I thought, this is awesome. He's talking about the South, he's talking about the people of the South. And I found, found in, in this book by Mark Twain this little uh, news clipping that he puts in his book. He cites this news clipping in his book. It says, Knoxville, Tennessee, October 19th. Although that, I think it doesn't give the year, but I think it's, it's the late 1880s or 1890, something like that. Because that's when he wrote the book. So... Or maybe it's earlier, but he wrote the book. He gathered this information then. 
Listen to this news clipping. This is a long time ago. This morning, oh, I want to talk like, I want so bad to talk like Mark Twain. This morning, a few, I don't know how he really talked. A few minutes after 10 o'clock, General Joseph A. Mabry, Thomas O'Connor and Joseph A. Mabry Jr. were killed in a shooting affray. Love those words. We don't use affray much. I'm afraid to. All right, I'll keep going. The diff. <laughs> <clears throat> the difficulty began sat, uh, yesterday afternoon by General Maybe attacking Major O'Connor and threatening to kill him. This is real, okay? This isn't made up. This was at the fairgrounds, and O'Connor told Mabry that it was not the place to settle their difficulties. <laughs> Mabry then told O'Connor he should not live. <laughs> it seems that Mabry was armed, and O'Connor was not. The cause of the difficulty was an old feud about the transfer of some property from Mabry to O'Connor. Later in the afternoon, Mabry sent word to O'Connor that he would kill him on sight. This morning, Major O'Connor was standing in the door of the Mechanics National Bank, of which he was president. General Mabry and another gentleman walked down Gay Street on the opposite side from the bank. O'Connor stepped into the bank, got a shotgun, took deliberate aim at General Mabry, and fired. Mabry fell dead. You know, you read the news nowadays, you're like, oh, the news, I can't believe how bad it is. What if you read this? This would be wild. Mabry fell dead, being shot in the left side. As he fell, O'Connor fired again, the shot taking effect in Mabry's thigh. Ouch. O'Connor then reached into the bank and got another shotgun. About this time, Joseph O. Mabry, son of General Mabry, came rushing down the street, unseen by O'Connor, until within 40 feet when the young man fired a pistol, the shot taking effect in O'Connor's right breast, passing through the body near the heart. The instant Mabry shot, O'Connor turned and fired, the load taking effect in young Mabry's right breast inside. Oh, yeah, Mabry fell pierced. With 20 buckshot and almost instantly, O'Connor fell dead without a struggle. Maybe tried to rise but fell back dead. That sounds like an old western, doesn't it? The whole tragedy occurred within two minutes. And neither of the three spoke after he was shot. That's our town. That's our history. And by, by the way, uh, you can't blame that on a neighborhood or a side of town. Because that was right smack in the middle of town. The heart of Knoxville. There it was. And it happened. But I don't murder, Kevin. But you've hated So you ask God for what you want, but God is uh, too kind to give it to you. He says you ask wrongly to spend on your own passions. What passions? These passions, the passions that are causing each other to hate each other and to kill each other. Those passions. Because it's not that you're asking for a new car, a new house. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about asking things like... Let's, let's, let's get into this. What, what kind of things do you ask for that you ask for wrongly? 
that you can spend on your own passions. You know what you, one of your passions is? Let me, let me define what that, what that could mean for us. It can mean a lot of things, but one thing it definitely means is it's a disbelief in the gospel. A passion. A passion for wanting to be exalted. A passion for wanting to be in control. A passion for wanting to be in charge. That's a passion that we all share. It started in the garden and we still have it. And so what we do is, is just like they, uh, Adam and Eve, they, had, they, they started to get, they let their passions take over. They wanted to be like God. Then we, we want to spend our prayers on our own passions. So we pray weird things. Instead of just asking God for things we really need, like I need a little more money so I can take care of my family. Oh, no, you're going to spend that on your passions. No, that's, God says, come to me and, and, and ask me. I'm a good father. I want you to ask me for things. He tells us to petition him and, to, and that he's a provider. So it's not talking about that. Do you ever ask God to change someone else's heart uh, instead of changing your own? That's a weird prayer, isn't it? Why do you want their heart changed? So they'd be nicer to me. Why do you want them to be nicer to you? Because I need their approval. Why do you need their approval? Because I don't believe that I'm approved by God. I don't believe He's gracious toward me. I don't believe the gospel. So you want to spend that on your own passions and you want me to change this person's heart for you. God says, no. You ask wrongly. Do you ever ask for special favor with other people so you won't have to believe the gospel? This can be a little tricky, so I want you to hear me out all the way. Do you ever ask God for favor with another person so that you don't have to believe him anymore? Let me give you an example. You, ha- you need to confront someone. You have to go in and you have to say something hard to them. Uh, and so... You, you're pretty sure they're not going to like it. And you're pretty sure they're going to be upset with you. So you ask God for favor with them. Lord, please give me favor with this person so that they won't not like me. So that they will still like me. They will still think well of me after I have to say this hard thing to them. Because I care more about the fact that they won't like me, then I care about loving them well. Please give me favor with them. That's a weird prayer. Well, why do you want favor with them? Because I don't believe I have favor with you, God. Your favor's not enough. I need theirs. I need them to favor me and like me. And I don't want them to be mad at me. So please give me favor with them. I'm not approved and loved by you enough, God. I, I need their favor. Now, it's not, of course it's not always wrong to ask God for favor. There are lots of, of examples in the Bible where God did give supernatural favor with uh, pharaohs and, and kings and, and rulers and important people uh, for God's purposes. 
But when you are deciding whether or not you're going to believe the gospel based on that favor, then you ask wrongly. I ask wrongly because I want to spend it on my passions, my passion to be liked. I like to be liked. Some people do the opposite, though. They don't like being liked. They'd rather be hated because it's less messy. But most of us, we like to be liked. Do you ever ask God to change your circumstances so you won't have to depend on God? You don't ever say that. You don't say it that way. Lord, please take away this difficult circumstance so that I will no longer need to depend on you. I'm really getting tired of depending on you. And so that I don't have to do that anymore and think about it anymore. Could you just fix this? I need, and listen, it's okay to go to God and ask God, Lord, I need more income. Lord, please help me with this financial situation. Help me with this relationship problem. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. He's a good, he's a good father. But if your prayer is something like, please, I need to make more income because I want to be the provider, not you. I'm tired of having to just depend on my daily bread coming from you. Now, you won't say that, but you, you could tell and you, you could feel it in your heart. It, here's how you will know that you might be praying for that wrongly because you may not have joy unless you get it. Like you won't ever feel joy unless you get it. But remember, Paul told us that he's, he had learned to be content in every situation. Whether he's rich or poor, hungry, shipwrecked, in prison or not. So basically what he meant is he had the joy of the Lord all the time. So if you don't, and your joy is gone, unless the situation is fixed, then you might ask wrongly. Please fix it so I don't have to depend on you. You might not believe that his grace is uh, enough. Now, I want to go back to, to imagining this again. So imagine living with people. This is, this is really, uh, uh, this is a really amazing thing to imagine. Living with people, living our lives together. And, and what we do is, instead of, instead of asking uh, for God to change, you know, your heart and, and so you'll treat me better. And I, I'm not even thinking about that. I'm just thinking about how can I love Jeff well? How can I love him well and how can I be generous toward him? And then get this, he's thinking the same thing about me. I'm thinking of Jeff as more important than myself. And then Jeff is thinking of me as more important than himself. And if everybody's doing that, that would be a really awesome people to live around, wouldn't it? And guess what? People who uh, aren't Christians and they're not in that community, they, it's going to look good to them. They, they're going to want that. They're at least going to take a second look. Now, there's an author, and I don't know who he is, but he wrote, and, and I wish I had it, but it just came to mind. There's an author, and he wrote, um, and I'm going to quote it. I'm going to paraphrase his quote, but he, it, was, it was really good. He said, a one, one person living like that, living that way, with that kind of generosity, forgiveness, and grace for people, 
will probably just be considered an eccentric. They'll just be passed off as an eccentric. But a whole community of people living like that, then the world has to take a second look. Imagine living like that. So that's what Jesus was talking about, that being the light on the hill, the good kind of light. Not worldly wisdom, but the wisdom that was Jesus, the, Jesus, the wisdom of God. I, I, I want to read uh, verse 4 through 10. Man, he's tough in this. <laughs> you murder. You commit adultery. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that, has made, that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Man, that sounds like tough, tough stuff. But I don't commit adultery, you might say, or you might say I do. He says friendship with the world is, is enmity, with, enmity with God. But he's not really talking about, he's not talking, this passage is not about sins the world commits. So we gotta, we've got to be really careful. He's not saying, um, he, he's not telling us not to be friends with sinners. We have to be careful about that. He's not telling us not to be sent friends with sinners. Don't be a friend of the world. That's not, he, he's, that's not, he's not saying don't be friends. Jesus was a friend of sinners. He was accused of that twice, uh, or we, we, it's recorded that he was accused of that twice, and it was true. That's why he was accused of it. He was a friend of sinners. They, but the difference was that when he befriended a sinner, he saved him. That he didn't sin himself. So. And he sent us by the Holy Spirit and by the power of the gospel to do the same thing. But he's reminding us that we're a community of light. That we're a city on a hill. We're not solitary individuals. You are, if you're, hey, listen, if you're not in the, in, if you're not, if you don't belong to Jesus and, and you're not in this kingdom, then yeah, you probably are. Uh, you, you, you probably are kind of disembodied. You are a, a solitary individual. Blindly seeking after your natural passions. Trying to find yourself, and you, but you don't. And, and finding only loneliness, you know, disappointment. I mean, that's just, that's, that, is, that is normal. That's just what happens in the world. But, but, but Jesus says, that's not you. You're, you're, a, you're a community of light. 
So that's why he said, like, like the wayward wife in Proverbs. You know, we read in Proverbs, the adulteress says her words are like honey dripping from her lips, but, but her ways lead to death. We don't belong to the world. That's, that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Don't you see that light, darkness, they're different, <laughs> you know? You're the light, not the dark. Understand that, please. We, we don't belong to the world. We're in it, but we're not of it. And then he says, listen, listen, be wretched. <laughs> be wretched and... It's funny, my kids at school, for some reason, they say ratchet. I don't understand that, but... Be wretched. It's kind of like wrestle. Chase says wrestle. I like that. Be wretched and mourn and weep. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like when Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So we are the people that mourn our sin. We are. We do lament. And then we rejoice in our Savior. And that's going to look really stupid to the world. But guess what? We're those same people who are generous. We're those same people that give and don't ask back. We're the same people that don't hold grudges. We're the same people that don't give people what they deserve. We're the same ones that don't talk bad about each other. And that's a community that the world wants, they want to be a part of. See, God has chosen us as a way to be His mission to the world. The the church, the Christian community, is God's plan for mission in the world. I mean, that we're it. He started at the beginning with Adam and Eve, and then, then he called Israel to himself, and then and now he's calling the church where his people gather to himself, and we're to be a light. To, we're his whole mission program. We are. And a lot of how we are is how we live together. And then how we serve the world as a community. Not as a bunch of disembodied body parts laying around, but as the body together. So we're going to appear foolish because we depend on our Father for everything. They're always praying. They stopped in the store the other day and started praying. That's weird. But then, they, but then I needed that, that, you know, I needed a, a car and they helped me find one. Or I heard that, that, that one of those, those guys had a really expensive bicycle and sold it to another one of the guys for a really cheap price because he needed a way to get to work. So yeah, they may be a little weird, but I like how they live. Why do they live this way? Is it about this Jesus they're always talking about? Did Jesus live that way? Does Jesus love me like that?
So we become a people who don't need to envy each other because we're already approved and loved. We don't need to be the best looking one in the room. We don't have to be the most talented one. We don't need it. We genuinely don't care anymore. What a freedom that is. Especially for the one that's not the best looking in the room. But no, you know what? If you are the best looking in the room, you know, it has its own traps. So now everybody's going to be looking around trying to see who the best looking one is. Don't do that. We're people who are gracious, gracious and generous to each other to the point where it hurts. And then we just say, well, we're just taking part in the suffering of Christ, so it's okay. That's why, you know, well, how, how can you give that much to where it hurts? Well, you know, we're just, I'm just partaking in the divine nature of Christ. I mean, Christ gave till it hurt, right? We think of each other more highly than we think of ourselves. I want to get to know some people like that. It's going to look so weird and so different. It's going to change. It's going to change lives. It's going to change communities. It changes cities. Because he went, we're not actually the light. I mean, he says we're the light of the world, but that's just because we've been raised up with him. So it, it's because, you know, we, we've got Jesus and we're, by the power of his spirit and his gospel, we go out into the world as his whole plan for mission in the world, we become the light. And it changes lives and it changes communities and it changes cities and it changes for the glory of God, for his glory. Because it says right here in, in Matthew, it says, they'll see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Jesus says that that's like a good thing. And they, and they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So as a church, um, our prayer, um, you know, we have missional communities and we have this gathering on Sunday morning. But our prayer is, and our, our desire is to, is to be that community of light uh, in Knoxville. We're called to Knoxville. And as we read earlier, Knoxville needs it. Knoxville needs to see that. They need to see community living like that. Where we would say to someone, you should live instead of you should die. 